So, uh, hello to everybody. Little problem with Facebook again, but I hope it's working now. Uh, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. Uh, so, May 10th. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. We begin today with the first canto, chapter 6, text 38. This is the last verse of the chapter. Narada Muni has just departed. And so now Sutta says, Aho Devarshir Danyo Yang Yet Kirtin Sharnga Dunvanha Gayan Madhyan Idang Tantriya Ramayatya Turang Jagat. So Aho, which Prabhupada translates all glory to. Aho Devarshir uh, Narada Muni Deva Rishi the Rishi among the demigods, or among the celestial godly beings, Danyo Yang, he is Danya, very fortunate. Um, Dana means fortune, fortuna, and uh, Danya, fortunate, one who brings fortune to others and to himself. So, O Devarshi, glory to Devarshi, who was who, this fortunate person, Yet kirting sharnga dhanvanaha gayan mat, because singing kirti, the glory, kirtan, singing the kirti, the glory of Krishna, who is sharnga dhanvanaha, who carries a bow called sharnga. Krishna's bow is called sharnga, so sharnga dhanvanaha. He, so singing the glories of Krishna, sharnga dhanva. Madhyan and personally taking pleasure in it, idang uh, tantriya with his vina. Tantri means a string or the string of an instrument, and so tantriya with his stringed instrument, his vina, ramiyati, he is giving happiness, giving pleasure, aturang jagat to the suffering world, to the disturbed world. Prabhupada translates. Uh, Atharam was distressed, the distressed world. So, of course, you know, we are not Narada Muni, obviously, but we can follow Narada Muni. Otherwise, if we're not meant to follow him, why describe him in the Bhagavatam? Why did Krishna arrange for Narada to appear like this in the Bhagavatam, if not to teach us that what we should be doing? We cannot fly around in space at this time, at least I can't and none of my friends can. But we can certainly, well, actually, we can fly around in airplanes once the virus is over. But the fact that Nard is personally taking pleasure, Madhyan, I won't go into all the grammar of this word, Madhyan, but it's, it's an interesting word, but uh, Narda is receiving pleasure, perhaps a way to get at what it really means. He, he's, he's receiving pleasure. He's, he's being 
very enlivened and uh, he's being made ecstatic by singing the glories of the Lord. And what's he doing with this pleasure? He's not simply trying to enjoy this pleasure. He's giving this, the pleasure that he's receiving, he's giving to others. And of course, someone may say, well, I'm not that happy in Krishna consciousness, so I haven't got a lot of pleasure to give others. But actually, you know, ordinarily in this world, you can't give charity unless you first have some money to give. But spiritually, it's different. Because spiritually, when you give happiness to others, then happiness comes rushing into your life. And so if we're waiting to be happy before we go out to spread this movement, you're going to, you may be waiting a very long time, uh, like the rest of this life and maybe a few more lives. So the secret here is do not wait for, you know, for all of your happiness. Go out and try to help others by giving them knowledge of Krishna, uh, by spreading Prabhupada's mission, and you will find that you are very happy. You will find, I mean, the most miserable condition on earth is to be self-absorbed. To always worry about our own comfort and happiness is by far the quickest, most efficient way to be miserable. And if we really care about others, if we open our hearts to other people in, in the most important sense of wanting to give them Krishna consciousness, then your own heart will fill with spiritual happiness by Krishna's arrangement. That's actually a very important um, point to understand. So that's the end of chapter six. And now chapter seven, with titled The Son of Drona Punished. Uh, the Son of Drona, of course, is Ashwatthama. That will come later in the chapter. Uh, so, chapter seven of the first canto begins, Shonaka Uvacha. So Sutta has been narrating all of this to the sages, and now the leader of the sages uh, Shonaka says, Shonaka Uvacha, Nirgate Narade Sutta. O Sutta, when Narada went out, literally went out when he left, Bhagavan Badarayana, uh, the Lord Vyasa, Shutavangs Tadavi Pratham, having heard uh, that which he desired to hear, or that which pleased him, having heard that which pleased him. Tata, then, Kim Akarodvibhu, what did that great personality do? Kim Akarod, what did he do? Vibhu, that mighty personality, Vyastiv. So, this is Shonika's question, and Sutta Vacha, Sutta says, Brahmana Dhyam Saraswatyam. Ashrama Paschimetate. So there is an ashram. There is a spiritual retreat. Paschimetate on the western bank of the holy Saraswati River. Paschatya, as you know, means western, so the same word really here, Paschime. Paschimetate on the western bank of the Saraswati River, which is the Brahma River, the Brahma River, and that means it's a river of the Vedas, 
or it's a, the river where the absolute truth can be realized. And uh, there's an ashram. The word Saraswati, Saras, means current flowing of water. Saras means flowing water. And uh, Vati, having, like Bhagavati, so that river uh, which is filled with flowing water and the Brahmanadi, the Vedic river or the river of the Absolute. So there's an ashram there. And now, because Narada is sitting, uh, I'm sorry, because Vyasa is on the western bank, he's facing east. That's an interesting point. So he's, his ashram is on the western side of the river so that he can face east. And uh, that ashram is Rishinam of the Rishis, Satavardhana. It, uh, it, it brings success, prosperity to sacrificial activities. It's an ashram which is very auspicious, which, which leads to success in spiritual sacrifice. So, tasmin, so ashrame, so in there in his, in his ashram, tasmin, so ashrame, vyasa, badari sandamandite. Uh, oh, did I, I'm not sure, one second, did I, did, uh, I think maybe one word in the previous verse. Yes, I left out the name of the ashram, which is Shamya Prasa. Iti Prokta, that ashram of Yas is uh, named or known as or said to be Shamya Prasa. Very interesting name. Shamya in Sanskrit means a staff, like a danda, and Prasa means throwing. In fact, there's even a weapon, like a spear that you throw called a Prasa. And a, a, thro a thrown weapon. So Shamya Prasa uh, also, it's just another word synonym is Shamya Kshepa means the distance that you can throw a staff. So, Shamya Prasa, it's, uh, it's an ashram. The size of this ashram, the size of the land, is a, it's like a spear's throw. You know, as far as you can throw a staff, that's how big the ashram is. And if you've ever seen this Olympic event of the javelin, you can throw a staff pretty far. So it's, it's a large ashram on the western bank of the... Saraswati River. So then, there in his ashram, uh, which is Badari Shandamandite, uh, Badari means a, it's a fruit tree called the jujube tree. And when I was a kid, I don't think they had, they would sell like in those little boxes of candy. There was a, there was a candy called jujubes, <laughs> which were different colors. But the jujube, which is from Sanskrit, actually, this word, is like a berry. It's a, it's a berry which can be bright red or yellow. And shanda means like a lot of them. So uh, Monday day, it was surrounded by, this ashram was surrounded by these beautiful orchards of uh, jujube, berry trees. So Vyasa, Asina, sitting there, Appa uh, Upa Sprisha, and touching water, which really means doing achman, purifying himself. Upa sprisha. Sprisha means touching. And upa means a little bit. So like you do achman, it's not like taking a bath. 
you know, I mean, when you do ashram, put a little water in your hand for purification or put water in other parts of your body. Uh, it doesn't mean, you don't do it with a bucket of water. You don't, you know, like I said, it's not a shower, it's not a bath. And so, therefore, you have this word upa sprisha, like, uh, you know, a little touching, literally, you know, touching a little bit water. And this is a very common word in the Bhagavatam. Uh, that's how they say Ashman. They say, and sometimes they'll just have the verb upasprisha, uh, so, and sometimes the word water, jalam or apa here. So he's sitting down there. He purifies himself uh, with Ashman, and pranidadhyo uh, manak sayam. And he uh, concentrated. Prabhupada translates the word. It's an excellent translation. Prani dadhyo. Dadhyo means he meditated. Dadhyo. And prani. Pra means like directly a need within. So it's like he meditated deeply and with great focus. He, he fixed his mind. He fixed his mind. And swayam, which means like personally. So uh, it's an interesting word here. Uh, it indicates that Vyastev here, who's going into samadhi, he's going deeply into meditation to carry out the order of a spiritual master, and that he's doing this very intentionally. It's his own wish also. He's not, in other words, Swayam really indicates here that this is not just sadhana bhakti. This is Vyastev, the avatar. And so Nard instructed him, but this is absolutely Vyasa's own wish and desire and pleasure, and so... It's really, he's taking this on. That's the sense here with the word Swayam. So, then, Bhakti Yogena, through Bhakti Yoga, Manasi, in his mind, uh, Samyak Pranihite, uh, Pranihite is actually the same, in last verse we had Pranidadyo, which to directly and uh, fix the mind, and so now his mind is fixed. So in the last verse, he's engaged in this action of fully fixing his mind. Now, the word pranihite, same word, his mind is fixed. His, his mind is fixed. Uh, and his mind is amale, mala. Mala means dirt, contamination. So, for example, the Bhagavatam is called the amala purana, the spotless purana. That's how it's generally translated spotless, amala. So here, Vyasa's mind is described as amala, it's pure. There's no contamination in his mind. So manasi, in his mind, pranihite, which is samyak pranihite, fully fixed, amale, and free of contamination, his mind. So through bhakti yoga, apashat, he saw, he saw purushang purnam, literally the, like the complete person. If you remember the Isopanasham, Om Purnamada, Purnamidam. Purna means full, complete, just like uh, the full moon is called Purnima. Please don't say Purnima. Please. Uh, it's Purnima. Goer Purnima. So the same word, Purnima, means full moon, and then Purna means full. So he saw the full, the complete person. Apashat Purushang Purnam. Prabhupada translates Purna here as absolute. Mayang Cha. And he also saw Maya. 
he's not in Maya, he's not affected by Maya, but he saw Maya. He saw the complete person, the absolute person, and then he saw Maya. So he's, he's seen the whole picture here. Mayang cha tadapasrayam, and he saw that Maya is under the full control of the complete person. So our problem is we see Maya and we don't see Krishna at the same time we see Maya. That's the problem. So Vyas is not in Maya, he's not under Maya, he's fully controlled his mind. So Maya is not, has no control over his mind, but he's seeing that Maya is under Krishna's control. What that means is that obviously there's nothing at all that Maya can give me that I cannot obtain in a much better, pure form from Krishna. So why would I go to Maya if Maya is simply herself at the shelter of, literally, Apashraya, uh, at the shelter or under the control of uh, Krishna? So he sees the real position of Maya. When we see Maya and we are, as we say, in Maya, um, we're, the whole problem is we are seeing Maya as something independent. In other words, we're seeing Maya without Krishna and therefore as something that I could be the enjoyer of. This is described very nicely in the Bhagavatam as dvitiya, bhayang dvitiya bhini taksyat, when it said that uh, our anxiety or fear, because if you think about it, all of our suffering is, is different forms of anxiety and fear. And uh, the Bhagavatam says that comes from becoming absorbed in literally a second thing, like first, second, third, so becoming absorbed in a second thing. There's only one reality, Krishna. And everything else is part of Krishna. We are part of Krishna. Uh, the material world is Krishna's external energy. We are Krishna's internal energy. His spiritual energy. And so to see a second reality, in other words, something which is not Krishna, not within Krishna, it's just a second reality, why do we falsely see things that way when, in fact, everything is within Krishna? Vasudeva Sarvam. Because we want to become masters of it. We want to lord it over. We want to enjoy it without Krishna. So that's why our mind embraces this crazy idea that there is something, anything, which is not within Krishna. My body, someone else's body, uh, something I think I can possess. That there is something which is not meant to be used in loving service to Krishna. It's just meant for my sense gratification. So, going back to our verse here, uh, Vyasa sees Maya, but under the shelter of Krishna. So there is nothing in the universe available for sense gratification if you see what things really are, but everything will give you happiness if you see it within Krishna. That is the plain truth of life. That's Krishna consciousness. So perhaps we'll do another verse. Um... 
So do one more verse here and then we will see if there are any questions. So, so he saw Maya there, Vyastadev the saw Maya at Krishna's shelter. Maya, yaya, by whom? Maya, by which? Some mohito jiva. The jiva is fully bewildered. Mohita means bewildered. Some mohita means really gone, really in illusion. So, yaya, some mohito jiva. He saw Maya by whom? or by which the jiva is bewildered. And in that bewildered state, atmanam trigunatmakam paroapi manute. Wow, that's bad news. Uh, anartam tatkratam chatipatite. So, um, so he's, uh, Vyasa Maya, by whom the jiva is fully bewildered, and in that bewildered state, the, the jiva manute thinks or believes. Uh, this is the same as manyate from the verb man to think, like mind, manas. So the jiva believes uh, himself or herself, atmanam, to be trigunatmakam, to be made of the modes. In other words, when I'm in a particular consciousness and I have certain desires and a certain state of mind which is all made up of these qualities of nature like passion, I'm in a passionate mood or I'm in sort of a mundane, virtuous mood. Uh, more and more devotees, instead of being interested in Sankirtan, dedicate their lives to uh, different kinds of mundane welfare, which is better than nothing, but not quite as good as, act, as spreading the Hare Krishna movement. But that's become a, a big thing now. And so, um, or ignorance, of course. Like when someone becomes very depressed, like, you know, my life, uh, you know, I don't want to live anymore, I'll never be happy, or just darkness or intoxication. So the jiva, fully bewildered by maya, believes himself or herself to be these qualities, to be these three modes of nature. So if I'm feeling passionate, this is me. Like, I want you, you know, like that kind of sort of beastly stuff, bodily stuff. And so, uh, which is just, of course, material passion, but a bewildered soul thinks, no, that's me. I am the person who cannot live without you. Or I am the person who wants you, who needs you. Or, I mean, not Krishna here, you being someone else's body. Or I am the person that's depressed, or I am the person that's, uh, you know, more virtuous than other people, whatever. So we are souls, but we believe that we are different configurations of the modes of nature. That's a, that is a real disaster. So, yayasa mohito jiva atmanam trigunatmakam paroapi, even though the soul is paroapi, a paro. Paro means transcendental. We are really transcendental. We are really beyond all these material qualities. We are beyond the passion we feel, the attachment we feel, the aversion. We're beyond even sort of material virtue. It doesn't mean that you're not virtuous. It means you are virtuous but you're also spiritual. 
And um, so we're part, we're part of, we're beyond this, we're above it, we're transcendental. So it said, Pi, even though the soul is transcendental, the soul believes I am these modes of nature, Anartam, and this is useless. Anartam. Uh, this is an anartha. In other words, this has no eternal value. This is not going to take you where you want to go. Where do we want to go? We want to go to permanent happiness. I want to be happy, really happy, and it's not that tomorrow, tomorrow I wake up and I'm not happy, like I was happy yesterday, but I'm not happy today. Or maybe I'll be happy tomorrow, I'm yearning. Uh, or instead of serving Krishna, I become addicted to some material pleasure. Or uh, as Prabhupada used to say, uh, you know, working hard for material things. Prabhupada used to say like an ass. I don't want to call people asses, but Prabhupada definitely called them asses. So, you know, don't kill the messenger. So we are attached to many things and the bodily concept of life. But these things are useless without Krishna consciousness because at the end of the day or at the end of this life, it all vanishes. And then we get another chance to engage in assery. You know, we get another chance to work hard for something that will also vanish. It will also disappear. So this is kind of what we're doing if we're not in Krishna consciousness and... Uh, we should stop doing it. We should really try to be Krishna conscious. So, paroapi manute anartam tatkritam chavipadyate. And then, having done all that, the soul then must suffer or undergo uh, tatkritam, all the consequences. All the consequences of those bad choices. Literally, tat means that, and kritam means done or made. Everything that is done or made by that, by that bad choice, chavipadyate, uh, then the soul has to suffer, has to undergo all those bad consequences. So uh, let's, let us just get back to good old-fashioned Krishna consciousness. Just good old Krishna consciousness and try to spread Prabhupada's mission. That's real happiness. So thank you all for listening. To my, I guess this is a sermon. It's a Sunday sermon. So, uh, let's see. There are a couple questions. One is, I'm constant. I'm constantly wondering, waiting for the right moment when, can, when I can give up uh, or holding up, I guess I give up attachment. So here we are in the urge to spread Krishna's words. What was your realization when this moment happened to you? That's an interesting question. What attention uh, should we pay other than to read and hear carefully? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I was very fortunate actually because I started preaching before I joined the movement. I, when I just started visiting the temple in Los Angeles, the old temple on La Cienega Boulevard, and I was just so happy I started telling everybody. I remember telling some of my friends that uh, this is really the truth, and they said, well, what is it? I said, I'm not quite sure yet, but I just know it's the truth. Anyway, so um, so then I moved into the temple, actually, and uh, the very next day I started organizing a guest reception program in the temple. I was, like, really enthusiastic, and the devotees kind of let me do it. But um, 
I really wanted, I thought that everyone that comes should hear about Krishna. And of course, you know, in everyone's life, I mean, you know, we all go through ups and downs in different ways. So I can't say at, at every stage of my life, I was as enthusiastic to preach. Sometimes we have health problems. Uh, we can have great disappointments that discourage us. I mean, you know, in the real world, all kinds of things happen to us. However, uh, in answer to this question, what we really need to do if we want to get as we used to say in ISKCON, back in the fire of preaching, because there's no other happy place. There's no other happy place. I mean, with all due respect, we can do rituals all day and night, and we're not really going to taste higher Krishna consciousness in where, unless we're also contributing to the Sankirtan movement. So the easiest, fastest way to get back that taste is to associate with, or serve, or cooperate with, uh, people who are enthusiastic to preach. I know, for example, I'm trying my best uh, and I'm trying to do better than I have to, uh, let's say, enliven our Western preaching and I'm actually feeling more and more enthusiastic to do that. We have all kinds of very interesting plans. Uh, and so we need help. I know myself. I, it's very enlivening for me personally, when someone comes and says, I want to participate in what you're trying to do. So that enlivens me very much. I try to encourage that person, that you know, whoever it is, to in their service. And so uh, it's a Sankirtan movement. So if we want to spread this movement, and if we, if we don't want to spread the movement, it's not going to spread to us. Because Krishna reciprocates, and so if we are not trying to help him by spreading his movement, he's not going to spread it to our heart. So we have to, you know, we have to give in order to receive. So yes, associate with, assist, cooperate with devotees who are very enthusiastic to preach. It's contagious. And even if you don't feel it, or even if you think, well, I don't feel like associating with that devotee, even though I appreciate what he or she is doing, and uh, it's a nice cause, do it anyway. You know, you don't take medicine just because you feel like it. I mean, when in the world does anyone feel like taking medicine, unless someone's a real masochist, you know? When does someone feel like going to all the trouble of some type of you know, therapy or medicine? You don't feel like taking medicine, but if you're a rational human being, you take it. So in the same way, this is the medicine. This is the medicine. Oh, uh, uh, it is Mother's Day also. And um, so I, let me, I'll answer one more question and then I want to speak on Mother's Day. So the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita speaks about having steady wisdom, steady intellect, stita pragya and so on, established wisdom and being able to withdraw the senses Within Krishna consciousness, what would be the most practical way to gain this trait as a devotee of Krishna, this characteristic? How do you come to this point of having steady wisdom so it's not that one day you see clearly and the next day you're really lost at sea? Um, well, good association is very important. Good, and, and of course... We have to know how to take good association. If, uh, 
we have to know how to make friendship with devotees. That's a quality of the second-class devotee. If someone who's Kanishta, and the symptom of the Kanishta is uh, Krishna lives in the temple and nowhere else, so uh, you know I'll behave nicely in the temple. As soon as I walk out the temple door, then everything changes, and I don't treat other people nicely. Second-class devotee wants to preach and makes friendship with devotees. So we have to be at that stage where we value Krishna consciousness, advanced devotees. We don't simply offer them garlands, and although that's nice. Uh, in other words, it's nice to offer a flower garland or even a little donation or something, but what's really nice is to approach a more advanced devotee and to offer that devotee, him or her, to offer that devotee um, service. Like I see that because you are in a more advanced state of Krishna consciousness and therefore you are spreading Prabhupada's mission and I want to help you. I want to help you spread the mission. And that's the way to associate. Not just, hey, I'll take you, I'll take you out to Govinda's restaurant, buy you a, you know, a, a Veda burger or something. I mean, that's nice. And, uh, you know, you can feed me anytime if it's, you know, healthy. But... What we really should do is find devotees who are really dedicated to Prabhupada's mission, who in some intelligent, practical way are working to spread Prabhupada's mission and then help those people. That's, and then, you know, your mind will be controlled. You'll have something better to think about. And you'll, be, you'll, and you'll have good association. So today is Mother's Day. And uh, one thing I would like to say about mothers or about women is that, as you probably know, I'm trying to develop a project called Krishna West. I think the word has gotten out. And uh, without the ladies, there hardly would be a Krishna West. They are doing so much service with so much real devotion and sharp intelligence that um, seeing as I do every day that everything I'm trying to do for Prabhupada would be very difficult to do if I could do it at all without all these uh, wonderful Krishna conscious ladies that I wonder you know how other areas in ISKCON can really flourish uh, if they do not have full respect and appreciation for women in the sense of appreciating the fact that many women, especially in this movement, are very intelligent, very capable, very devoted. They're excellent devotees and they're capable of doing amazing things. And uh, based on my own experience with my little Krishna West project, uh, I don't see how anyone can ever really spread the Krishna consciousness movement, at least not in the Western world or anywhere. Uh, certainly not in the Western world. Uh, I don't think it's possible to spread the movement powerfully unless one accepts the powerful contribution of women. And of course, uh, many of these women are literally mothers. And that's another very important thing because as we know, uh, well, as science tells us, and as anyone with common sense already knew anyway, that uh, children need a mother and father, a good mother and father. And of course, 
the mother most of the time spends more time. I mean, I, I know when I was a child, I spent a lot more time with my mother because mothers generally raise their children. And so unless women in this movement, mothers, unless mothers are very strongly encouraged and respected um, and uh, facilitated, given opportunity, how in the world are we going to get good, you know, a good next generation? I mean, nothing's more self-destructive than not respecting mothers for society. It's on, on a social, societal level. It's, it's like, it's self-destructive. I'm very fortunate because uh, Krishna gave me very good, loving parents. They weren't, you know, Gaudiya Vaishnavas, but probably are now. But they were very good, loving parents, and, and I can see how important that is in my life. My mother was, uh, had a very good mother. She was very intelligent. She was strong, chaste, and, um, you know, the culture back then was very chaste. But she was very, I know she, it was just the culture back then that they, you know, all the, all the social groups that they joined, like clubs and everything, they were all charity groups. You know, they, they were social groups and people would get together, but all the projects they did were for charity. And I noticed when I was a kid that my mother, whatever group she joined after, before too long, she was the president of it. And so, uh, anyway, I, uh, so I was very fortunate to have a mother who was uh, very intelligent, strong. She was definitely in charge of the house. I mean, there was no doubt about that. And she definitely put the fear of God in me when I was growing up. But she was a very loving mother. And um, and I can see how that has, for one thing, that has, I think, enabled me or empowered me to respect women. And I, and I know when I, because that for me, that was normal. Like a normal woman is very intelligent and strong and chaste. That's just, you know, that's what good women are. So I, so I don't feel threatened by uh, intelligent women. I, I feel like, oh, this is a good woman. So, um, and if we disrespect women, what do the children think? If I would have seen someone disrespecting my mother, I mean, first of all, I probably would have, you know, just wanted to execute that person on the spot. But... But if you live in a society where it's so drilled into you, it's it, you know it's so heavily put into you that women are inferior, women are less intelligent, women are foolish, and you're just always hearing this, and because it's coming from authority, you, you start to really think it's true. Uh, based on my own experience, that sounds extremely unhealthy. I mean, I can't imagine the kinds of emotional weirdness I would have if I had been brought up to think badly of my own mother. I mean, I think that would have made me, I can't even imagine all the emotional weirdness I would have inside of me. And I know uh, I, I lived in an in, in opposite. I mean, I lived inside, it was just the opposite. I know my mother, she was actually sort of popular. She was always kind of like the life of the party also. And everyone really liked her. And so um, I grew up 
constantly hearing from everyone around me how great my mother was. You know, how lucky I was to have such a, such a wonderful mother. That's what I was hearing all the time. And, uh, and my father, I remember if I even slightly disrespected my mother, there was, as they say, there was hell to pay. I mean, I was in really, really serious trouble. In fact, I don't think I ever saw my, my father so angry at me as when, if I even slightly disrespected my mother. That was like absolutely not tolerated. So not only did I not grow up in a society that taught me to disrespect my own mother because she's less intelligent and sort of has a child's brain and, um, you know, is lusty and this and that. I mean, it's just like, oh my God. I mean, frankly, it's... Uh, so I think personally that uh, we really need to understand how to appreciate mothers, women, and so, so the children of this movement grow up in an atmosphere in which women are deeply respected for their good qualities. Not only that, I think it encourages women, it must encourage women to actually manifest those good qualities. I know myself, because in my position as a, as a guru in ISKCON, you know, one of the uh, one of the things you have to tolerate if you're a guru in ISKCON is people praising you. Not everyone. I mean, fortunately, there are people, a lot of people, uh, you can find them on the internet, although please don't, uh, who think that I'm the, you know, the worst thing that ever happened since personified Kali. So, but still, I mean, <laughs> I generally don't associate with those people. So because, um, because I am... I work with a lot of people, disciples and other devotees, who I have to hear praise, but one good effect it has on me is that hopefully I don't become crazy or a narcissist, but by hearing praise, I actually become determined that I can't cheat these people. These people are looking up to me. These people think highly of me. I can't cheat them. I can't disappoint them. I can't, because that would be worse than death. As Krishna says in the Gita, Mahanu Bhava, uh, uh, Mahanu Bhava Sicha Kirtir Maranada Tirichate. Uh, no, um, anyway, yeah, that means that for one who's been honored, dishonor is worse than death. And so when women are praised for their good qualities, I think inevitably, for women that aren't shameless, and most women and most men are not shameless, uh, it, I think it strongly encourages them to actually step into that role, to be the person that people are seeing. So I would say for like innumerable, very good reasons, sociological, psychological, and spiritual, uh, we really need to create a society where women are highly valued for their good qualities, and uh, mothers, I don't say especially, but just women, and of course mothers have a very extremely important role because we cannot have a good society without good mothers. You just can't. It's, uh, so if, if, if anyone was thinking you could have a good society without good mothers, uh, you're wrong. 
So, another question. Srila Prabhupada says in Srimad Bhagavatam 113, sometimes love affairs between two persons culminate in ghastly murder scenes. Yes, crimes of passion. Such rasas are displayed because men and women and between animal are displayed between man and woman and between animal and animal. There's no possibility of an exchange or rasa between a man and an animal or between a man and any other species of living beings within the material world. Someone asked what happened with the connections she has with animals in her current life. Oh. First of all, um, this is a material thing, like what kinds of psychological relationships. This is not Shastra. And so I will give a slightly different opinion from what's there in the purport because Prabhupada taught us that way. He said issue or, or you know matters that are not in Shastra, uh, there can be different opinions on them. So following Prabhupada. Um, as we know, uh, there are in fact, and this, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not like the big animal lover, I don't have a lot of pets, but we see that there are relationships between, for example, human beings and their pets. There are many examples of animals being loyal, of giving their lives to save a master, of showing real concern. If like, like a child is injured or something, we see that animals display this behavior. Some animals uh, display this behavior uh, sometimes, you know, among their own kind. So, and, and we see that, that human beings can come to really appreciate deeply the loyalty and, and the you know, the comfort they sometimes get from certain kinds of pets. Like there's a, there, you know, like those bumper stickers that say, my border collie dog is smarter than your honor student. So, so um, I would say that there is a type of Ross. In fact, we see it in Shastra because uh, Lord Rama definitely had a Rasa with the monkeys that helped him. I mean, they were devoted to Rama and he was devoted to them and they were animals. And we see this also, for example, in, uh, anyway, I mean, you can go on and on. You could talk about dogs, you could talk about horses, you could talk about other creatures, elephants, but uh, there are some kinds of relationships, emotional relationships like that. As far as your relationship with animals, uh, what happens to you? Uh, first of all, when I see animals, I see that here is a pure soul who should be right now in a human body uh, chanting Hare Krishna, but it's an animal body. So as cute as some animals can be, I can't just get all gushy over them because I'm thinking of their ultimate welfare. And so when I see a, you know, a dog that someone else is just going all gaga over, I'm thinking I, that you really need to get yourself into a body where you can chant Hare Krishna and read Prabhupada's books. So that's kind of the relationship I have with animals. I want them to advance and to join the Hare Krishna movement. And if they're so inclined, even join Krishna West in your next life. So those are all the questions. Uh, thank you all very much. Happy Mother's Day to everyone because everyone had or has a mother and many people are mothers and everyone knows a mother. 
And so today's a day that we should appreciate mothers and, and actually every day. It's a, um, it's a very important position in, in, in human society. So, uh, hope, uh, oh, there's, actually I'm on my phone today because Facebook, again, was not working properly. So, thank you all very much. Happy Mother's Day. Hare Krishna. I hope you all be back next Sunday.